Do you wish that all things wealth and finance were much easier to understand and not presented by a bunch of beige cardigan-wearing geeks? Welcome to the Clever Investor Podcast, where we're dishing up the easiest-to-understand finance program served in bite-sized chunks, so your brain will thank you as your knowledge grows. Hosted by the brilliant Owen Taylor, a multiple award-winning expert with a glorious knack for explaining the complex world of wealth in the simplest of ways. Hey, Clever Investors, and welcome to another show. The theme of today is, well, it actually stems from uh, a reel I did with our social media manager this week, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to get Dia Dada into the podcast studio? And for a first ever, we're actually video recording this as well, which is something we want to do more of next year too. But um, Dia was actually very heavily involved uh, earlier this year in our Gen Z event, uh, teaching the 20-something years old the possibilities of what they can do and how they can and getting them the right uh, mindset and everything. So welcome to the Clever Investor podcast, Dia. Thank you very much for having me on, Owen. As you mentioned, I was involved with the Gen Z campaign earlier this year. And what I noticed was a lot of my friends who are in their early 20s, they're just starting off their career or they're still in uni, they had a lot of questions in regards to how they can actually start. And a lot of it stemmed from fear, fear about if they could even invest in the Australian market and also the fear of making mistakes. So that's kind of where this idea came from. And that's where The Real was born. So I thought it would be great for you to kind of break down the three big mistakes first time property buyers make. So on the reel, we mm-hmm. we only had what did you give me like thirty seconds? Yep. How can you clip my heels to thirty seconds? It's impossible. My number one thing is always being prepared and um, making sure that everybody knows their numbers. And I, I've talked about this a lot many times. So the the numbers are something that you shouldn't figure out on your own. You're not meant to. Um, and I know it's really easy. We live in the information age, don't we? It's so easy to pull our phone out of our pocket and Dr. Google absolutely everything, but it's there's certain things that you just shouldn't learn off of, uh, off of YouTube. Well, it's TikTok coming in now. It's all the TikTok gurus, TikTok, yeah? Yeah, yeah but... Um, yeah, I know. I, I just helped my one my, one of my son's friends this week with his uh, with his motorbike, his first ever motorbike, and he was trying to teach himself how to do different things on the bike via TikToky and YouTube, and um, he got it a bit ass about face. So <laughs> there was a few years of experience of working on motorbikes. I was able to uh, help him out, you know, in in a half an hour mini lesson on things. So. It's, uh, it's not something that you're, you're meant to do on your own. Um, mortgage brokers, I talk about them a lot, is, is really, I think, the first port of call for a lot of ones. So I know I spoke to some of your friends um, after the event as well and, and said, you know, you, you need to know your numbers. And, and actually, even if you don't think you're ready to buy right now or you know you're not or you don't want to, get an idea of where you actually are sitting at the moment. Well, how do you get around finding a good mortgage broker? So you need to um, talk to your friends and family who they 
used, um, what they liked about that person. I do believe that people need to be matched up. Um, you might want, uh, you might be someone that's not interested in the fluff and bubbles in things, and you just want to get straight down to business. Or you might be somebody that wants someone um, that is going to slow things down, explain it all, um, and, you know, and, and be that kind of thing. So you do need to literally interview these people as if they were an employee of you. So they're, they're literally going to be an employee. They're going to be like a contract employee throughout your throughout your sort of adulty life type things. And have a chat with them initially and tell them on the phone. You ring them and actually say, look, this is it. I'm looking around for a mortgage broker and um, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you can help me and stuff like that. Being quite honest, it doesn't matter how many lenders they've got on their book. It doesn't matter that they've got 40 or 50. So many, I laugh still today when brokers promote their business by how many banks they've got access to. It doesn't actually make any difference, right? It matters more about how they can interrogate your your information, your data, what experience they've had of of overcoming obstacles, or or you know if you're a, a especially with investment properties, um, it is a it is a bit more of a specialist field. Most mortgage brokers, ninety five percent of their business would be residential owner occupier purchases. So there are some different skills that you that you need to have and know um, when you're dealing with investment properties, and uh, that was a that was a big part of my business when I was back in the lending time was was specialising in the uh, investment property side. So you need to interview them, just like they're going to be an employee for you. Well, let's peel that back a little bit for my fellow Gen Zers who are completely new to the property industry, which a lot of the people were who attended the Gen Z event earlier this year. So can we just quickly break down, what is a mortgage broker? What do they do and why do we need them? That's a great question, right? Um, because when I started in the mortgage broking industry back in 2000, um, I would have spent the first 15 minutes of any chat with a client explaining what a mortgage broker was. But uh, because there was back then, I think there was about it was less than twenty percent of all mortgages were, were were derived through mortgage brokers. Most people went directly to a bank. Nowadays, it's uh, I think it's closer to seventy percent all come through mortgage brokers. So a mortgage broker is an intermediary between the lender. And I say lender because it's not just um, banks that they use. So it's building societies, credit unions and and non-bank lenders as well. So they're an intermediary between them um, who is um, uh, who is paid to do what they do on a commission as a percentage of the, the, the loan that's actually written and, and settled. So if the mortgage broker, if, if they do all this work and it doesn't settle, they don't get paid. So there's an incentive for the broker to, to work on your behalf and to, and to get you the right deal so you'll, so you'll stay with them. Cool. 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 Brilliant. Cool. Lovely. Brilliant. All right. Now, the other thing I've got down here after knowing your numbers is um, the other big mistake around the finances is not understanding the full cost of owning a property. So this is one of the key things that we actually do at Blue Wealth Property. The first thing that we do when we meet with a client and we, the, the client can't meet with us until they know their numbers. So they've had a mortgage broker go, yep, this is your borrowing capacity. 
this is sort of the comfort level you should be looking at. Then what we actually do is an analysis of and show people how much it's actually going to cost you to hold the property. So we're not just looking at what the mortgage repayments are going to be. We're also then looking at, well, okay, you've got to put money aside for the stamp duty. You've got to pay your legal costs, your conveyancing costs for for the property too. Um, And there could be uh, transfer fees associated with property. Then you get into the actual holding cost of the property around you're going to have a real estate agent that's going to manage the property for you, find you your tenants, manage the tenants, collect the rent for you. They take a percentage, normally around somewhere between 7 or 8% of what the, the weekly rental income is for, for doing all of that work and advising you as to you know what tenant you should take and, and how much rent you should be charging. So there's all those extra things they do. Uh, plus you've got things like council rates, water rates. You've then got insurance on the property too. So if it's a house, the building needs to be insured because otherwise if it burns down and you still owe $400,000 on a mortgage, well, that's not good. So it needs to be insured. That's actually a legal requirement within your within your loan contract. Uh, if you've got an apartment, you've got strata fees. So the strata looks after the maintenance and also the insurance for the apartment building as well. So you've got these fees that need to be paid. Um, and then obviously you've you've actually got the the mortgage payment as well on top of it, right? Plus there are some uh, depreciable items associated with the property and the fixtures and the fittings, and they're actually whilst they're not expenses, they're claimable tax items. So that can actually help you um, holding the property long term. So that's part of the numbers that we then look at. What's your real holding costs? Now, a lot of people, if you're not using professionals, if you're trying to figure it out yourself or you're using stale information from those very well-meaning family friend members, you, you could be missing out or not understanding this or just buying the wrong property because you've bought a property which is too old or, or, or some of these things are not applicable. So um, understanding the full cost of ownership is vitally important and it's something that it's it's preparation. It's all part of the preparation and we need to take the time before we get all rushed in and get excited about what property we're actually buying. With your experience in the industry, what have you noticed is the most common slip up or the most easily forgotten for people who neglect due diligence? It's really sort of all of those things. If somebody, I mean, you only know what you know. Mm. Right, um, but uh, I think people can slip up when they when they go and find the property first and and fall in love with it. Right, that's when they can start dropping the ball around all of all of these things as well. Um, I do think a big failing though is people not having a buffer when they go and buy a property, a suitable buffer, so that emergency money that just in case. Type of thing. And how do you calculate that? Is there a set amount or you, it's a percentage of? I've always used and I've always taught the, the what I call the 10 10 5 um, um, theory. So when you're buying uh, a property, your, your deposit, right, um, is 10% of the purchase price. That's pretty much that's sort of the standard, really, Australia wide. So you're going to put your 10% deposit down. Then I reckon you should save up another 10% or have 10% as a minimum to one side uh, for just just in case. 
Um, and it could be that um, you might buy a property and the, the valuation comes in a little bit lower than, than what the purchase price was. It could be that you've you've got to pay some some strata fees or something, you know, straight away, or there could be anything. If you don't end up needing them, fantastic. It's always better to have it than to come to settlement and you just haven't got enough money. And potentially you could lose your 10% deposit if you can't settle on the property. Um, the other 5% in the 10.10.5 is 5% is to pay for the costs of purchase costs. So stamp duty, your legal costs, um, transfer fees and such like that. So that's generally 5% will cover all of those items as well. So don't forget the buffer. It's better to don't have forget. it. Vitally important to not forget the buffer. What what you never want to do, whether you're buying your first property to to live in or whether it is an investment property, um, you should not be going into it with nothing left in reserve. Okay, because it could you know the cat could get sick and you need uh, you know there's vet bills or the fridge can blow up or. Um, you know, anything like that. You know, you need a plumber immediately to fix a leaky pipe or something. So you just, it's better to have that buffer. Um, And if you've got that money left over, brilliant. You can always stick it in your offset account, put it into the loan account, take your mortgage broker out for dinner or something or or whatever it is. So it's it's much better. It's boring and very adulty, right? But it's a very important thing to do. And it takes time. That's often the frustrating part for first-time buyers is it's going to take time. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it absolutely. and not have it. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a drop of wisdom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now my last note I've got on here is interest rate fluctuations, mm. okay, which is we saw the Reserve Bank put the cash rate up uh, this week, which means we're going to have over the next couple of weeks a knock-on effect to all the lenders moving their rates up to whatever levels they sort of want within the guidelines of that. Um, So interest rates are something that will go up and down and you should never panic and be worried about it. I think we... We, um, uh, we chatted about this earlier today that when, when banks are assessing how much you can borrow, they're actually um, they're adding at the moment about 3% to what the actual interest rate you're going to pay. So at the moment, sort of most people are getting funds around the 6%-ish. The banks are imagining or doing their figures if interest rates went to 9%. Now, there's no indication to say that it would actually go that high, but from their legal standpoint, they've got to actually show that, yes, we've allowed for this, right? So the, the, if interest rates could, could go there, you're not going to have to sell a kidney. You could, in theory, still still afford all of this as well. So you've got to allow for the fact that interest rates will go up and down. If interest rates, uh, which we firmly believe by the middle of next year, will be coming you know, back down again, um, then uh, when you've got money in your pocket from your rental property, you shouldn't be going off to the pub on a Friday night and spending it all. That needs to stay in the investment uh, account, in the business account literally, to allow for the fact that when interest rates do go back up, hey, I've used my buffer, you know, oh, that's what the buffer is in there for. That's, so you're, you're constantly sort of working on that buffer type thing. So you mentioned before that a lot of people rush into buying a property because they fall in love with it first, they don't know their numbers and they just want to buy what they see. But an investment property is a business decision. There shouldn't necessarily be an emotional attachment to that decision. So 
why is that a mistake that first-time property owners often make and how can they disconnect that emotion from purchasing because it is a big it's a big deal it's a big decision and for a lot of people it's their first big purchase next to their car it is undoubtedly going to be and there's a big gap between you know the price they paid for their car and and, and their property um, and cars are an emotional per, you know purchase as well you fall in love with the shape or the switches that it's got in it or the color or something um the difference there is you're using your car every day but this investment property you're not living in it you're not good point very good point um i think to to help sort of overcome the the emotion and and all of that and to start treating it like a purchase uh, like a like an investment like a um uh, uh like a business is to um, is to do the numbers first of all. The numbers are literally a business plan, right? And that for, uh, I mean, the f- strange thing is as well that, um, you know, when I'm talking to a lot of business people and I've done some business coaching, a lot of them don't even have a business plan as well. A lot of businesses get get started off a uh, off an emotional, you know, I've, I've always wanted a cafe, I've always wanted this. And there's not necessarily a thoroughly investigated and scrutinised um, business plan. Um, because probably if, if a lot of people did that, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do things, they wouldn't start their business. And it should probably be then that maybe there's a lot, some people that shouldn't be buying their investment property because it's not the right time or they haven't got the right amount of buffer or they need to save a bit more. But there's an emotional thing that comes through with it. Well, I need to do this, or I think I need to do this, and and then when you confuse it, when you when you add the property in with it, which people have then sort of fallen in love with the idea of uh, of this uh, particular property or the location of it, or or and you know the thrill of it, um, they don't want to back out of it, and and they'll then go uh, and just sort of steam in. I've I've seen. Some uh, I've seen some not happy sort of circumstances come from on it when people have gone and bought property, put deposits down, and and you know I I couldn't get the finance for them, you know, or they've had to go off and and borrow money from family members and put those family members under financial stress as well by you know if they'd have spent the time at the beginning actually uh, uh, in, in, in the preparation type of thing. So how would you go about having a clear investment strategy? Um, it's going to sound repetitive here, but uh, knowing your numbers, first of all. Seems like yeah. that's the root of everything here. It, You've got it, to start your journey with knowing your numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole idea, the reason why we're investing, whether it's in shares or property or gold, we're doing it to make money into at some point into the future so what numbers what money you're using to start is a is a vitally uh, important part of it and and how you're actually going to to manage this long term part of the reason why i got so interested in uh, a methodology for um uh, picking investment properties and scrutinizing on what ones you should and what ones you shouldn't is i saw too many clients over the years buying the wrong property at the wrong stage in their life or for the wrong amount or the wrong structuring and then selling it after two or three years because um, it was all too stressful for them. Ultimately, it was all too stressful. So Mm. part of 
making a good strategy, right, is is um, looking at what the obvious dangers could actually be uh, within your within your plan, within your business plan as well. Mm. So what things? Um, I'm a, a great supporter of um, insurances and not just your building insurance like we spoke to me, spoke about before, but also your personal insurance. So not so much um, death, um, uh, you know, life insurance type thing, um, but um, if you get injured or you lose your job or there is uh, an insurance called landlord's insurance which covers you for – uh, for damage that your tenant may do to your property or if the tenant, um, you can have some policies where if the tenant, you know, skips town, um, um, that your rent can be paid, you know, uh, you know while, they've, while they've skipped away and, and things like that. So insurance is an expense, but it can also be something which can actually protect your wealth for the future as well. So that's all part of your strategy too, analysing what do I need, what don't I what don't I need as well? Mm, yeah, that's awesome. Another part of the strategy as well, I think, is that having a third person involved, such as a financial advisor or mortgage broker, helps make sure those lines aren't blurred between emotional and logical decision-making. So having someone else involved makes sure that you're making decisions based on financial goals rather than personal preference, which can be hard when you're the person in charge of all of those decisions. Yeah, so I had a, uh, I had a Zoom meeting with um, somebody today that um, that I, I came to a presentation that I did out in Dubbo a couple of weeks ago. Dubbo. And um, she came to the presentation. She had a, still a, a few more, you know, questions to, to ask about things. So we did a Zoom meeting. She kept referring to her mortgage broker as her friend um, and she likes that fact that she's got this friendly relationship with her mortgage broker um, because there, there's a trust there. She knows that this person is is going to have her best interests in mind now and and into the future. And you know, and you know, in sort of in her words, if she's going to do anything silly, she knows she's going to be able to talk to her bluntly and um, go, "No, you're not doing that. You're doing this, right? Or this. This is why you would do this, and this is why you wouldn't do it." So it's it's the education piece from from that as well. As I've said before, you're not meant to be doing all of this on your own. People do. We seem to have this this thing with around property that that we're all meant to be experts. As you hear me talk so much about barbecues, and you know, every, as the as the white wine flows on a Sunday afternoon, everybody becomes a bloody property expert um, in that. So, uh, and that's when I normally leave barbecues because I'm the least qualified person there. You wouldn't have anything to add to that conversation. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. They've all got their. They've all got their own own ideas. So. Yeah, I think that's a common misconception that you just have to figure it all out by yourself, and that's where a lot of the fear stems from as well, because you don't know where to start, who to talk to, how to get in touch with them. Mm. And as you mentioned before, it's picking the right people that you actually want to work with. How do I? How do I know to to trust this person? What am I going to do? You should still. Um, you should. St- still go and do your own, you know, investigation on things. You know, you're no doubt you're going to go home and, and Google something that's said and this and that. But it's uh, – and I had Tony on the podcast a while ago and we talked about researching and how you actually literally need to know the answer before you go and research something. 
rather than it because then you know whether the information is dissemination of that information as well. Am I reading this the right way for this particular situation? Um, and so, you know, uh, I remember speaking to my GP about, uh, you know, um, people Googling what their ailments are and he just like shook his head and just goes, I just wish we could turn that bit of the internet off because it's it's caused more it causes more work for him and his colleagues you know for no you you haven't got pleurisy it's not leprosy you're okay you know the you've chat got GBT a, says you've it got is. a cold <laughs> it's so easy to self diagnose yeah and we do the same thing especially with property and and things like that and i think that's the thing whereas um, when i go to uh, when i go to to buy something um, i will more than happily pay more to go into a shop and have someone um, sell me the the item because you know the thing I thought I needed well I, that's not going to suit whatever I want to do with it long term as well. I liken it a bit too if I use an analogy of um, I I think the 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 best restaurant experiences you have is when you go in and the the wait staff will actually guide you through the menu and and maybe match the wine to what you're thinking of or why don't you have this entree with that thing and and they're there to actually help you rather than you just sort of picking you know off what it, I, I think and it's the same thing you should look for within your experts you've got your idea your plan of what you want I want the steak okay well why don't you have this is the entree with it because it'll, you know, it'll taste nice for what you're having later on and this wine goes well with it and, and trusting in these in these experts. As we always say, knowledge is power, so surround yourself with people. You say that? I say that too. That's Isn't crazy. That Tony says it too. Wow. That's amazing. I think we've started something here. I think we so. We definitely have. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's true. Knowledge is power and making sure that you're – researching and learning about these things. And of course, you know, I'm an avid TikTok watcher. There's a lot of cool information on there, but it's also important to discern between what is correct and what's not, which is also why talking to someone in the industry also helps. So it's good to do your research, come into meetings or talking to someone with some knowledge in your back pocket, but also be open-minded to what they have to contribute to that conversation. Maybe I need to put the podcast on Tok Tick or Tiki Tok Tiki Tok Tok Tiki Tok. I, I, think I, I don't think they'd let me on it. Would no, they? there's no. an age limit. I'm so there sorry. Is, no, it's no, <laughs> no grey. I do, I do my, I do remember asking my lovely son years ago. I don't understand TikTok. Do I need it? And I think he was like 17 at the time, and he went, "No, Dad, you don't." And I went, "Okay, cool." And I've never <laughs> looked at it. Then. I need to do a full Gen Z breakdown for you. Oh. You need to get on TikTok. I need to get on TikTok? Yeah. I mean, you send me some funny reels. There's some better ones on TikTok that you're really missing out on. Oh, dear. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll break Maybe it down. we can help each other learn these things. There you go. All right. I'll show you TikTok memes and you can teach me about the property industry. Fantastic. Amazing. All right. Thank you for coming in today. It's been delightful. Um, I think we should get you back again and um, and keep an eye out on the – what's this going to go out onto, what we're doing here? What, what Instagram. Will it, Instagram. Follow on, us. What Instagram? Your Instagram Both. or the – Blue on, Wealth Property. On the Blue Wealth Property. And yeah. Clever Investor and Podcast. And Clever Investor one as well. Yeah, cool. All right. Thank you so much for having me on, Owen. I hope to be back sometime soon. My pleasure. Thank you. And if you enjoyed the ramblings today, please hit the like button. Tell your friends and family. 
and uh, leave us a review wherever you're um, listening or watching in on as well. That was Dia being very professional, putting her drink down on the table. Um, Sorry. Second ice latte of the day. Thank you. And it's on to the lovely voiceover guy, Robbie, for the close of the show. You have been listening to the Clever Investor Podcast, proudly sponsored this week by Blue Wealth Property. Are you ready to start a new investment journey? Get in touch with the industry leaders. Blue Wealth Property. Blue Wealth have a proven track record in using research to identify growth markets. And Blue Wealth have supported thousands of Australians to buy the right property in the right market at the right time. Go to bluewealth.com.au.